reading Matthew's Gospel in the month of February. And as we were trying to reflect on what we had learned together, I asked them this question, how would you summarize Jesus Christ's teaching? They'd just finished reading a gospel. Uh, they'd done that uh, rather than doing it a few verses at a time. They'd done that uh, a little bit more quickly than usual. So how do we summarize Jesus' message? It's a great question. Uh, the better we're able to summarize Jesus' message, the, the better we'll be able to understand his call on any one of us to follow him. So on Sunday evening, we got some great answers. Uh, love one another, care for the poor, pay attention to your inner life, beware of religiosity, um, I've come to go to the cross to die. Those were all great answers because every one of them can be traced uh, in the teaching of Jesus. But none of them probably could stand as the overall message or the overall theme. So I come back to that question. How do we summarize the teaching of Jesus Christ? Whenever you read Matthew's gospel with that question in mind, you'll inevitably come to one conclusion. Jesus' big message is the kingdom of God. Let's test what we've studied so far in Matthew's gospel to see if that's right. Scan with me uh, back a few chapters and we'll, we'll remind ourselves of the journey so far. So in the opening chapters of the gospel, Matthew tells us about Jesus' birth. He tells us how John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come into the public eye with his preaching. And what is it John says to prepare the way for Jesus? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's it, summary of his preaching. In chapter four, when Jesus begins his public ministry, Matthew again gives us a summary of his preaching. Verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Chapter five, when he begins to teach, and Matthew's actually recording some of the content of his teaching. Chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. Whenever he concludes his Beatitudes, he warns those who follow Jesus that they will be persecuted. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus invites us into the kingdom of heaven. He's told us that citizens of the kingdom will be blessed even when they're persecuted. And then he goes on in this Sermon on the Mount to tell us what the purpose is of citizens of the kingdom is. They're to be salt for a, a stinky and a rotten world. They're to be light for a dark world. They're to make the world a better place so that people can find their way home to their Father God. In the latter two thirds of chapter five, Jesus tells us about what he calls the righteousness of the kingdom. It surpasses the external rules observed by the Pharisees, because it's a righteousness that flows from within. So kingdom people have laws of the king written on their hearts. Last week, as we moved into chapter six, Neil dealt with the first 18 verses there. What Jesus is doing in those first 18 verses, he's, he's warning us of the things that would prevent us from entering the life of the kingdom. If we develop an unhealthy 
desire for human admiration, whether it's in our giving or praying or fasting, we'll only ever get earthly recognition. That will be the limit of our reward. We'll have no reward, Jesus says, from our Father in heaven. The rewards of the kingdom are reserved for those who live with an audience of one, who look only to the king. So in our passage this morning, in the second half of chapter 6, we encounter a second thing that's going to prevent us from experiencing life to the full in the kingdom of God. The first thing is an unhealthy desire for human admiration. The second thing this morning, an unhealthy desire for wealth and security. Jesus begins verse 19 by talking about treasure. Sounds quite old-fashioned, doesn't it? Um, stories that we heard as a kid about treasures, maps with an X to mark the spot, or if you're Irish, that we know that the leprechauns keep their treasure in the pot at the end of the rainbow. So our treasure stories, they don't feel very immediate and very remote, so you may not think treasure is very relevant to you and your life. Nothing's more critical than to think about your treasure. Our treasures are the things that we try to get and then hold on to and to keep. We all have treasures. Human beings have things that are important to us that we want to protect and to keep. So we, we treasure um, actual physical things, actual stuff. So it can be our houses or cars or clothes and, and other things. We can treasure intangible things as well. We treasure our reputation or our relationships with other people or the security of our family. So it's the most natural thing in the world for us to, to hoard treasures. So when Jesus speaks about treasures in this passage, he's talking about more than just money and wealth. He's talking about the things that we give our hearts to, that we cling to, the very things that drive us, that make us tick. Look at verse 19. In this verse, Jesus takes on the role of the financial advisor. He invites us into his office. And without even turning to his financial times or, or flicking to his laptop, he, he tells us straight off, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is telling us that treasuring up things on earth isn't a good investment strategy. I don't know how much you know to confirm Jesus' teaching to you. I don't know how much that's been your experience. Maybe you have had investments go wrong. There was a time when I was a kid when there was a phrase we used a lot in British culture that an investment was safe as houses. I just don't hear it quite so much anymore. That's because in 2008, we had a, a credit crunch, a financial crash precipitated, precipitated by the negligent selling of subprime mortgages in the United States. People in the UK 
for the first time certainly that I'd heard of were experiencing negative equity when the loan that they had to buy their house was worth more and weighed heavier than the, the value of the asset itself. We weren't talking anymore about being as safe as houses. If you've ever had your car stolen or your house broken into and your, your property robbed, you'll know what Jesus is saying about thieves. You'll know that moths and rust and thieves are as real today as they were in Jesus' time. There's simply nothing in this world that qualifies finally as a safe bet investment. Jesus says, don't invest in those things. He advises, he advises us to invest instead in heaven. Instead of storing up those physical, tangible things on earth, direct your actions and your investments to, to the kingdom of God. Invest your life in what God is doing. That's a, an investment that can never be lost. Folks, whenever our investments are made in the kingdom of heaven, we can know that they're absolutely sure. Whenever we invest in the kingdom, everything that we do counts, and it counts forever. Whenever, whenever our treasure is in the right place, Jesus says, our heart comes into line. Look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whenever the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about our, our controlling center, our, our will, our core, our spirit. Jesus says that whatever we treasure is going to dominate our hearts. It looks a little bit, as we read through, it looks as if he's changing subject when he gets to verses 22 and 23, but he's very much on subject. He's just choosing to come at it from another angle. When he starts talking about our eyes, he, he's talking about our perspective. Think about it for a second. Whenever our eyes are working properly, this very, very small part of the eye informs the whole body. This very small part of the body informs the whole body. The eye gives orientation to the whole. Whenever our eyes work, our whole body can function relying on our sight. When our eyes don't work, so much perspective goes missing. Jesus is simply making the point that the heart is entirely crucial. When our heart's not right, then every aspect of our life suffers. When our heart's on material treasures, then our whole view of life is distorted. We can't have the right priorities, and we end up living our whole lives for the wrong things. Whenever our heart's in the right place, our whole life can be orientated well and wisely around it. If we treasure those things that are eternal, beyond recession and rust and theft, then we're investing in the kingdom of God. Just before we finish looking at this passage on treasures, let me say something uh, very simple but crucial about treasure. You can't help but treasuring things. Jesus' command isn't not to treasure. That, that's not his invitation. It's impossible not to have treasures and not to be dominated by them. We work for them all day long. We dream about them at night. 
What our treasure is, is the thing that makes us tick. So don't be embarrassed that you give your hearts to things, that you have treasure. That's not a problem. But notice what Jesus says next. The problem arises, Jesus says, when we imagine that we can have two treasures, that we can treasure two things at once. We easily imagine that we can treasure those material, tangible things of life that are so commonly treasured in our culture, and at the same time that we can treasure the kingdom of God. We can't. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. No one. If we think we can be the first person in the history of the human race, Jesus still says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some of us are going to keep trying, but I keep saying no one, because Jesus has this right. Folks, you'll know this from our workplace. We can't have two bosses. If you've ever found yourself in that frustrating environment where maybe there are different layers of management in the place where you work and the boss I remember it in the accounting firm where I was the, the structure was around managers and then partners so if the if the manager told me to do x and the partner came in and asked me to do y I was immediately well goodness how does this work what do I do you can't do it you can't serve two bosses it's the same in our lives. Folks, that's why the first of the Ten Commandments is as simple as it is. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is to be our boss. God is to be our only boss. We aren't to have any other boss. Folks, do you see how consistent these themes in the Sermon on the Mount are? The kingdom of God, we learned last week, is a place where we live for an audience of one. The kingdom of God, we're learning this week, is a place where you can only have one treasure. Our whole lives orientated around God. He's the one whom we trust with our reputation. He's the one whom we trust with our wealth. Folks, remember what we're talking about here this morning. We're talking about an unhealthy desire for wealth that's going to prevent us from living life in the kingdom of God. Treasuring the wrong things will do that. But so says Jesus will, will worry, worrying unduly about our financial state. That, that's really what he deals with in the closing verses of the chapter. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Jesus knows that financial security is a cause of great human anxiety. He knows that, but still he tells us not to worry. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
We could have all the food and clothes in the world and still not have life. This wealthy but depressed society that we live in bears eloquent witness to that reality. Jesus uses two illustrations from nature to encourage us not to worry. First, he says, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. The birds show us what to do, how to do what he, Jesus has talked about in verse 19. They don't lay up treasures. They rely on their Father for the food that they'll need each day. Elsewhere, Jesus says something similar about children. This is beginning to, I think I'm beginning to understand why Jesus always points us to children. He, said, he calls them the greatest in the kingdom of God. Well, well, how is that? Well, in this regard, in terms of trusting God with, with their everyday needs, little children don't have savings. Unless something's gone wrong in your house, your children don't store groceries under their bed. What they do is they show up at mealtimes expecting that mom and dad will have put stuff on the table. They, they have no notion that they have to provide for themselves because they've got a heavenly father. Jesus says these are the greatest in the kingdom of God. This is how God wants us, his children, to live before him. Folks, it's important that we don't misunderstand Jesus at this point. He's not saying that we're to sit back and to be lazy. Birds uh, actually are a brilliant illustration of this. Birds aren't lazy. Watch, watch birds for any length of time. I've had a chance to do that in a few different settings. When, when Claire and I first moved back from Vancouver to live in Northern Ireland, we lived in Lambeg. Uh, if you know it there, it's a little village on the outskirts of Lisburn, right beside the Lagan Towpath. So if we wanted to go for a walk, we'd walk along the towpath. And you'd get to see all kinds of birds. I remember at this time of the year in the spring, you'd see the swans. There were swans right there in the river, very close. And you'd see them at close quarters building their huge nests. They were busy, busy, busy gathering twigs and moss and all sorts of things to build huge nests. They were, they were working hard, preparing a future for their children, for their family. Of course, birds work hard. Of course, they try to be wise and care for their young ones. But they don't worry. And folks, this is something we want to try and learn. I, I've thought about this stuff for many years. I think it would be a foolish thing for me to say to you, Stop worrying. So I'm not going to do it. Let me offer a different invitation. Could you begin today to train your heart to worry a little less? To grow a little trust in your Father God? Just tilt the, the trust and worry equilibrium a wee bit. These things take time. Folks, I'm living at a time in my life when I have greater than ever financial responsibility. So I'm grateful today for this reminder from God's word to trust him with rising fuel bills and grocery prices 
rising. To trust him that 2022 is somehow going to be okay. Maybe you'll join me and we'll try to trust him together. Jesus turns to the lilies of the field, verse 28. He makes the same point, really, as he does with the birds. He says, God looks after them. They're not only provided for, they're so beautiful. You know, think about it, folks, the the extraordinary lengths that God goes to to clothe meadows and fields with flowers. I can't give you a statistic. I'm going to guess that the majority of them are never even seen by a human eye. But he creates them, and they're beautiful. He looks after them. He gives them life. Can we start to trust him? Folks, I hope you can hear the tender love of God coming through in these words from Jesus. Learn from the birds. Learn from the flowers. Learn from the little children. Don't worry. Trust your Father in heaven with your every need. Jesus brings his teaching on wealth and worry to a close in verse 33. It's, it's a very memorable summary. I think he's summarizing what he's teaching about this morning. But I also think he's maybe summarizing what he was teaching in the passage we looked at last week, and, and maybe the whole sermon so far. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we accept Jesus' invitation to life in the kingdom, then we can be sure that our Father will give us everything else that we need. He'll give you your daily necessities so you don't have to worry. He, He will give you as much reputation and standing as you need to be useful for Him and His glory. You don't have to go seeking admiration from other people anymore. You're free. As I've been thinking about this stuff the last couple of weeks, I thought this. If I took away the the worry about financial stress and my standing before other people, if I took those two things out of my life, about 90% of the stuff that stresses me, gone. Jesus is a wise teacher. He's inviting you to life in the kingdom of God. Folks, Jesus' overall message, it's to find our true selves in the kingdom of God. What's he taught us today? Don't let worries about wealth hold us back. What's his invitation? It's to seek first that kingdom and his righteousness and his promise that he'll give us everything else that we need along with it. Let's pray. Lord, many of us here do seek your kingdom. Uh, We know that Jesus has come to rescue us from our sin, to bring us into a new life where he is king. Lord, we want to live in the kingdom. But Lord, we confess we haven't always sought the kingdom first. 
we have kept it below other priorities or maybe we've tried to place it side by side with other priorities. Jesus, we pray you'd help us to take you at your word and to begin to seek nothing more, nothing beside the kingdom, our life in the kingdom of God. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Amen.